0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: My name is Mark. I'm on staff here at Restoration. We're glad you're here. Uh, This past summer, Ben and I went to a concert together. Somebody gave us tickets to a Ryan Adams concert, which was a great gift. Is anyone looking for Christmas gifts? Uh, and about, It was a great concert. About three quarters of the way through, uh, he like broke a string or something. So he was trying to put a new string on, tune his guitar. He was really distracted, and he was kind of f- fumbling over his words. He wasn't making much sense, what he was trying to say as he was doing this. And it was just dead quiet in the auditorium. And someone yells out, use your words. <laughs> and he. Didn't think that was very funny. Uh, and then somebody else was like, make me cry. And so you, you kind of see he's just kind of looking down, and then he just starts playing his guitar. And he starts playing. this really pretty melody. And then his band kind of joins in, and he makes up this, like, nine-minute song where at the end of each verse, the, the it goes, use your words, make me cry. And it's, it's, it's a really catchy song. Uh, all that to say. Uh, there is something in us that knows that whatever might be going on, um, putting it into song just somehow makes it that much more powerful and meaningful. Kids know this. If you got kids, they make up songs about anything and everything. Uh, and we seem to kind of lose that ability the older we get, which is sad, but I think we'd all agree that music and songs, they elevate whatever we're experiencing. So if you go to a party or get together, there's usually some music playing. Um, This Advent series, as we're kind of leading up into Christmas, we're looking at what we call the Songs of Christmas or the Songs of Jesus. And the first couple chapters in Luke's gospel read like a musical. People just are bursting into song left and right. And this morning we're looking at Mary's song when she finds out that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. Um, On that note, Ben told me to tell you guys we have bookmarks for Advent. It's got each day in December. They're scattered around the church. Look for these. They're great. Just one passage a day for your Advent readings. I've done my duty. Uh, And what I wanna pitch at you this morning is that Mary's song, uh, it's known as the Magnificat. It is at the same time, beautiful and threatening. It's It's a fierce song that Mary sings. So with that in mind, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is history and it's true. And it's powerful and it speaks to us even today. And so would you do a work in our hearts? Would you soften our hearts? Open up our ears. Help us to hear what you would have us hear this morning. Help us to be shaped to look more and more like Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. I think we need to acknowledge that kind of during Christmas and Advent when we typically read these passages, it's really easy to just kind of glaze over what's actually said. Uh, even if you are just new to Christianity or you're just kind of testing out a church or what Christianity is all about, odds are you've probably heard this story, right? When an angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be the mother of Jesus uh, and she, he's going to be king and then she sings a great song called the Magnificat. That's typically how we think about this passage. And yet if we slow down and we actually read scripture, we see that it's it's a lot more logical the way she responds than we typically think. Like how an unmarried teenage girl might actually respond from a sudden visit from an angel, telling her she's going to be uh, the mother of God, the Son, come in the flesh. Look back at our passage, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And what is Mary's first response? Verse 29 says, but she was greatly troubled at the same, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love how Mary isn't necessarily shocked that an angel just showed up out of the blue talking to her, uh, but she's troubled at what sort of greeting he gives her. Mary would have been around the age of someone in our youth group. Uh, she was poor. We know that from later when she and Joseph come to give a sacrifice to the temple. There's like the normal sacrifice that if you had enough money you'd give. There's one underneath that if you didn't have a whole lot. And if you really didn't have any money, you'd give two turtle doves, which is what Mary and Joseph give to the temple. She's poor. She lived in this town called Nazareth, which was this backwater town that everybody joked about. Uh, When Jesus is gathering his disciples and Nathanael hears about it, do you remember what Nathanael says? (laughs) He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's just this joke town. And so this young, impoverished girl from a no-name town has an angel show up out of nowhere and starts gushing over her. he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary is troubled. She's trying to figure out what kind of greeting this might be. Why this angel is paying attention to her at all. And especially why he's honoring her with his words. Uh, Mary has nothing to offer in terms of power or accomplishments or status. And yet what does the angel say to her in verse 30? He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Here and every time God draws people to follow him, it is 100% rooted in his grace. Uh, it is always God moving towards those who don't deserve it, who usually weren't even thinking about him, who haven't earned it in any way. God delights in turning the ways of this world upside down to draw his people to himself. Our world says that you know, it's money, title, power, achievement, beauty. Those are the things that give you worth. Those are the things that make you a valuable person. And yet God takes this poor, unaccomplished teenager from a podunk town and gives her the honor of being the mother of Jesus Christ. All Mary had was a love for God, and that was enough. Look back at verse 31. The angel tells Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Uh, this is the first thing that the angel says to Mary about this baby she's going to have. And what's so interesting is that the angel describes this baby as it's actually going to be three sons and one son. Um, and they're all incredibly important in understanding who Jesus is. So first he says, Mary, you will conceive and you'll bear a son. So this baby is going to be human, flesh and blood. He's Mary's boy. And then in verse 32, it says, He will also be called the Son of the Most High. Jesus is going to be the very Son of God. So he's human. He's Mary's son. He's God's son. And the verse 32 goes on. It says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Jesus is Mary's son. He's God's son. And he's David's son. What does that last one mean? It, why does it matter that Jesus is David's son? Well, about a thousand years earlier, uh, David was the second king of Israel. And if you're familiar with David, he was also plucked out of obscurity, right? God sends the prophet Samuel to go to Jesse's house, and he's got like eight sons. And David wasn't even a part of this kind of Cinderella lineup they have. He kind of goes from the oldest and the most handsome. He's just a good looking dude. God says, Nope, it's not gonna be, he's not going to be the king. And it goes all the way down. His dad didn't even think he was worth kind of bringing in from the field, shepherding. And so David is walking around his palace one day and he finally realizes all the good things that God has done for him. And he says, you know what, I should do something really good for God too. He says, God, I'm going to build you a nice house. And God basically looks at him and says, that's cute. Thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I'm going to build you not just a house, David, I'm going to make you a dynasty. And this is what God promises David a, hundred, or a thousand years before Jesus is born. In 2 Samuel 7 God says when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers in other words when you die I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever and so God promises David that one of his sons is always going to be on the throne and that his kingdom would go on forever and ever which David took to mean that, you know, his son Solomon is going to be the next king, and then Solomon's son is going to be king, and then his son after him is going to be king, and on and on. Uh, But what does the angel tell Mary? He says, your son is going to be God's son, and God is going to fulfill that promise to David by giving Jesus the throne that belongs to David's son. And he will be the ultimate, final, eternal king of God's people, which is incredible news. If you ever read the history of God's people... They had terrible, terrible kings. And every once in a while they'd get a good king, but what happens? That king dies, and then his son is a terrible king. Uh, they, just, they don't have a good track record of good kings in Israel. All those, the bad kings just always led God's people away from God. They, they focused on themselves. And so the, the good news is that this king, King Jesus, would be God himself come in the flesh. He would never lead his people away from God because he's God. He'll continue to be a good king forever. He'll be the last ultimate king. This is good news. And so Mary asks the question that I think just about any teenage girl would ask. She says in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary was betrothed. She was basically engaged to Joseph, but they hadn't consummated their marriage yet. They weren't married. And the angel explains that the Holy Spirit is going to bring this about supernaturally. And even though Mary has no idea what all this entails. Gabriel just says in so many words, says your old aunt Elizabeth is also pregnant. And he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then how does Mary respond to that? She says just beautifully and simply verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And in the first service, I realized that that was where the Beatles got their song. Mother Mary comes to me saying, let it be. Uh, And that's it. The angel leaves about, he he tells her about her her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and then he goes. So when Mary first hears that she has been chosen to be the mother of Jesus Christ, instead of laughing, uh, instead of trying to shut it down because it's just way too much to take in, she remains curious and inquisitive uh, and humble. Uh, And if you're here this morning and you're not sure what you believe, you're investigating Christianity, we're so glad you're here. And I would encourage you just to remain on that track of being inquisitive. And of thinking, you know, maybe I don't quite believe this. Maybe the, the dots aren't quite connecting yet. But what if this is true? Right. What if there really is a king on an eternal throne who promised to return and set all things to right? Like what if Jesus really is going to make all things new? Uh, so let me talk about why the virgin birth is so important. And then we'll look at the song that Mary sings. Uh, God makes it very clear in Scripture that everyone is guilty of going against God, right? No one has perfectly followed God, and to one extent or another, we all do what is just best for us, and we go away from God. Um, And Christianity claims that we go our own way, and we have these disordered loves in our life because we are born sinners, right? This is what theologians call original sin. We inherit sin. We inherit these disordered loves. We're born with hearts that are curved in on ourselves as opposed to loving God and loving others. Uh, Those of you who have children, you know this. Like, you didn't have to teach them to disobey you. You didn't have to teach them how to be kind of selfish. Uh, It's in our nature to do whatever we want and whatever's best for us. All right, put another way, we aren't sinners because we sin. Uh, We sin because we're sinners. That's who we're born to be. Merry Christmas, everyone. Just trying to keep everything (laughs) merry and bright up here. Uh, but, but if we inherit these selfish dispositions, if we're born with them, do we see why the virgin birth is so important then? If God's plan of redemption and restoration is for Jesus to become man so that he can live a perfect life on behalf of his people and then give up that life and die a death on behalf of his people, then he needs to be fully God and fully human and yet without a trace of sin. Right, without, he has to be born without that guilt of sin. There's a theologian in the 1100s, a guy named Anselm. I know some of you are still looking for baby names. I'll tuck that one away, Anselm. <laughs> uh, but he put this really well. He said, only God could pay for sin, but only man should pay for sin. Only God could do it, but only a human being should do it. Right. In other words, because of our sin, payment for sin must come from us. But only God is perfect and without sin. Therefore, only God is the one who could possibly do it. <laughs> It has to come from our human bank account. But God is the only one who has the wealth necessary to actually pay what we owe. Does that make sense? Hence, the virgin birth. The angel tells Mary she's going to have a son. He's human. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to be God's son, divine. He says in verse 35, Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, set apart without sin. So the angel leaves after dropping his bomb on Mary. And Mary immediately goes and sees her relative, Elizabeth, because she's also had an experience with God. And she's like five months pregnant with John the Baptist, or as my high school students like to call him, JTB. Uh, So Mary walks in, JTB does a backflip in her womb. And in verse 42, Elizabeth yells out, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In verse 45, she says, And blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was to be spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth calls Mary blessed. Just think about that for a minute. Think about Mary's life at this point. She is a young, unwed woman who's pregnant. She barely has enough money to make ends meet. She's going to spend the next nine months of her life as a walking scandal no one's going to believe that she is a virgin and yet she's carrying the the child of god legally uh, in this culture this time the penalty for adultery was death it didn't typically happen with w- girls this young but that was the law of the land she could be stoned to death for seemingly committing adultery her and El- joseph's lives had been turned upside down and yet elizabeth calls her blessed and so when Mary bursts into song, the first word she sings, verse 49, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's why it's called the Magnificat. It's making making great of God's name. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The first half of Mary's song is just pure praise even though her life is a mess, right? She has Jesus. She has the favor of God. She has, she has the beauty of serving God. Mary knows that no matter what her current circumstances might be, ultimate salvation is coming from this. She has no idea what the next 30 years look like, but she does know that Jesus, this baby boy in her womb, is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to send someone to fix this broken mess, and if the first half of Mary's song is just pure praise, the second half is like pure punk rock. <laughs> it it re- reads like a Bob Dylan protest song. Uh, Catholics will never forgive me for that. Mary sings about overthrowing governments, scattering the proud, feeding and taking care of the poor. Uh, when we baptize a baby like we did this morning in the first service, we typically have the parents pick out a verse of scripture that they want prayed over the child. Uh, Sam and Anna Clara Abbas brought their kids, and we... We baptize them and they had some beautiful scripture picked out for them uh, but mary she's singing this protest song over her baby and it mirrors jesus life and ministry as he'll do what james says to oppose the proud and give grace to the humble uh, dietrich bonhoeffer he was another revolutionary in world war ii so he was a german theologian pastor he was part of a plot to kind of take out hitler and this is he preached the sermon in 1933 so before world war ii uh, but this is what he says Says the Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is the most passionate, most vehement, one might almost say most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It is not the gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we so often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary, or childish tones we so find often in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones and humbling the lords of this world, of God's power and the powerlessness of men. Rock on, Mary, right? Uh, Look back, starting at verse 51. It says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. I wanna be clear that Christianity never says that if you happen to have a lot of money that you're somehow less in God's kingdom. That if you happen to have a good paying job, um, Christianity doesn't say that you know, you're, you're kind of on the outskirts of this kingdom. Christianity does say that the poor and the marginalized and those who have been cast down and beaten down, uh, they typically come to the gospel quicker because they have fewer illusions of being self-sufficient. Right? Everyone who follows Jesus, no matter how much or how little you have, you have to acknowledge that you are coming totally dependent on his grace. Everything is a gift from God. But the main point of Mary's song and what Jesus will teach and what the New Testament writers will teach is that in God's kingdom, there's no hierarchy of believers. There's not, these guys up here who have a lot of faith and they've done well in life. And and these folks down here who haven't done as well, it's completely opposite to the waves of this world. In God's kingdom, there's no haves and have nots. In God's kingdom, the rich aren't on top and the poor aren't on the bottom. Everyone is on equal footing because everyone is in the kingdom of God because they trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on their behalf. Becoming a son or daughter of God, then, it's not something you achieve by good decisions or good investments. It's something you receive by grace. From beginning to end, it's a gift. And depending on where you are and how you view yourself and how you view God, Mary's song is going to hit you differently, isn't it? If you're like Mary and your entire life has just been one struggle after another, you've seen and experienced injustice, uh, you've seen and experienced people taking advantage of others, you're constantly aware that you may not have enough tomorrow or the next month. These are incredibly comforting words then, aren't they? If you're not like Mary and you've been extremely successful in this life, you feel like you have enough, everything's kind of in line, you've got a good 10, 15, 20-year plan, and yet, you, you know Jesus, and you know you can hold all of your stuff and your money with open hands and be generous and use it to love God and love others and love your community. Uh, and if the driving force in your life is not just to hold on to everything you've gained so that you can keep it, then these are incredibly comforting words, aren't they? The fact that God not only sees the injustice in the world, but He's doing something about it, that God so loves this world and the people in it that He would enter into the mess, that He'd be broken by the mess that he would be murdered by the mess in order to fix this mess. If, on the other hand, uh, your highest love in this world is yourself and your stuff and your money and your status, having everything you want, keeping everything you get, if your greatest fear in life is losing everything you've worked so hard for, then Mary's song kind of sounds like a threat, doesn't it? It sounds like a warning that, that things are not always going to be how they are now. That those who have everything are not always going to be on top and those who have nothing are not always going to be on the bottom a great equalizing is coming and depending on how you relate to jesus is going to shift how you receive this whether you receive this as good news or a threat as we get closer and closer to christmas my hope is that the, the beauty of god becoming man what the church calls the incarnation or those of you spanish speakers that word meat is carne right incarnation the enfleshment of jesus my hope is that it becomes more and more beautiful to us. That God, who is infinitely above us, infinitely on top, in a sense, the God who created the universe and every single one of us, loved us enough to let go of everything. As Paul says in Philippians, Jesus emptied himself by becoming human, by becoming a servant. And that is Jesus, both fully God and fully man, yet without a trace of sin. When Jesus offered himself up on the cross, He died the death that you and I deserve, so that by faith you and I get the life that Jesus deserves. And on the third day, after his human heart stopped working, Mary's boy, God's son, David's son, came back to life and defeated death for his people. And Jesus, the eternal king, now sits on his throne where he promises to one day come again, usher in his kingdom in full, turn back the effects of sin and death to bring perfect peace to this world and to his people. Amen. Please consider that an invitation. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you when we dwell on how high you are above us and yet how low you went for our sake and for this world's sake. we pray that you would keep us humble No matter how long or how little we've been following you, uh, we thank you that the grace you give to us, that you've given us hearts that want to love you and follow you. Uh, Lord, as you use our lives, use our joy, use our ability to to weep with those who weep and yet always keep this joy and hope in our lives. Uh, Use that to let us stick out in this world. We pray for this Christmas season that we would have Generous hearts and humble hearts. Press the beauty of the Incarnation deep into us, knowing how much you love us and what you've done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray for this Christmas season, that we would have generous hearts and humble hearts. Press the beauty of the Incarnation deep into us, knowing how much you love us and what you've done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.